When we're afraid, we'll do all kinds of things. When we're afraid, a part of our brain that sometimes gets called the wizard brain or the most ancient part of the brain, that instinctual part of our brain, has sort of three modes. That's sort of the famous way of thinking about it is that we either fight or we flee or we freeze. And so when we're afraid, we often go into this mode of just trying to grasp on to whatever we think is going to get us out of that fearful place. We've seen lots of fear in our country, especially over the past number of years. I mean, there's always been fear in our country, but we see it played out in a different way because now our fears get played up and played out over social media, in the media. And so, as most of us carry around this ubiquitous thing called a phone that can beep at us and boink at us and chirp at us and, and, and whatever at any time, we can be in a state of fear all the time. And maybe you've seen it in your own families, maybe you've seen it with your friends, how that response happens out on those, the social media, people lashing out at others because they're fighting. Maybe you see people fleeing. They say, well, I'm taking a social media hiatus. Maybe you see people freezing. They just don't know what to do. In our scripture reading from Mark today, we have a couple instances of people who I think are very afraid. And their fear leads them to actions that are dangerous but actions that ultimately turn into joyous changes in their lives and healing. In the first instance, we have the leader of the synagogue. Now, this is probably a relatively highly respected person. I want you to think about, you know, if you, if you grew up in a church like I did that had a president of the board, this is the president of the board. If you grew up in a church that has, you know, a clerk of session like we do, this is the clerk of session. This is, a, you know, a lay person who's leading in the synagogue, who's highly respected in the community. And so this person, Jairus, comes to Jesus. Now just think about this for a moment. He's a highly respected person in the synagogue. Jesus, yes, is a Jewish man. Yes, he's seen as a prophet and a teacher, but not the safest person to go to because Jesus is causing all kinds of commotion among the Jewish people. Well, who is he? Is he a Messiah? Is he just a faith healer? What what kind of person is he? But out of his fear, Jairus' fear and a little bit of desperation because his daughter is sick and dying, he goes to him and he falls at his feet. In many places in the scripture we hear about people falling at other people's feet, and it, it really is a metaphor for worshiping. Also just saying, you have more power than I do. And he begged him repeatedly, it says, my little daughter is the point of death. Would you come and lay your hands on her so she may be made well and live? He is desperate. He is fearful. And he has some modicum of belief in that fear and that desperation that this faith healer, this teacher, might be able to save his daughter. 
The other thing that's interesting about this is that in the background of the society of this time is that daughters were not necessarily worth very much. Women weren't necessarily thought of as highly estimable in the, in, in the community. Sons were much more worth something. And so I also find it interesting that he takes this risk on behalf of a daughter, a daughter who is coming to an age in which he is going to have to pay to have her married off. For someone else to take her off of his hands, in, in a sense. I know this is a horrible metaphor, but I, I want to be as, as plain-spoken as I can about perhaps what's going on. But yet he is, in his fear and desperation, he is willing to take this risk on behalf of this, his daughter that she might be made well, that she might have the life that is coming to her. And so Jesus goes on, and this large crowd follows him and presses in on him. Now, it says there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. This number 12 seems significant in this passage. The girl's 12 years old. She's been suffering for 12 years. There's 12 disciples. I mean, you could make all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, connections there if you want to. We believe some of the writers of the scripture love to mess with numbers because there's lots of significant numbers. Seven's a significant number, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can study about it. Some of it, I think, is just made up. Some of it is just interesting. The woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. So it says she suffered, she had endured much, (laughs) endured much under many physicians. Another way is she had suffered under the hands of many physicians. Because just, I want you to imagine back then, she, she, she basically, what the, what they're saying here is she's basically seems to be having her menstrual cycle like all the time, forever, for 12 years. And what that means is that she is unclean. So as a Jewish woman, she's unclean. She cannot participate with the rest of the community. In most cases, she might have even been sequestered into a room of a home that she couldn't leave because if anybody came into contact with her, they would be unclean. They would have to go through rituals. She, you know, again, she's ostracized. She's put away from the rest of society because of this physical ailment that she has. We might think this is a horrible thing, but that is that is just the way that it was constructed because of the way they understood things of this this type at the time. And she had spent all that she had, but she was no better. Rather, she grew worse. So just, if you've ever been sick, or if you're someone who's ever had chronic pain, what are you willing to do to feel better? Anything. To get some relief. And in our day and age, for, for a lot of us, those of us who, who suffer chronic pain, we, we aren't necessarily ostracized from society. We're not, we're not put into a room by ourselves where no one can come to us, where we have to bring, someone has to bring food to us and care for us, and we can't have contact with other people. But she had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. In the Greek here, the word that is used about what she touches is, is that, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, is that faithful Jewish men often wore a cloak or a, a shawl or something, and it had tassels on each corner. And these tassels were significant. 
They were often said to have carried sort of the power and the spirit of God. And so in the scriptures, as she touches one of the tassels of his cloak. I mean, there's a crowd pressing around him. How would he have known that someone touches something that is just a fringe of string? Because she believed out of her fear, out of her desperation, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stops. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And immediately, Jesus is aware that power had gone forth from him. I think that's an interesting way of saying it. That some, something has happened. Jesus is just aware that something has changed around him. And he's like, who touched me? Now imagine that you're this woman. You're not supposed to be out in public. You're not supposed to be around men. You're not supposed to touch a man who isn't your husband. And so now you've been in a crowd, so many people have probably touched you, come into contact with you, you've come into contact with many people, and you've touched a rabbi. Who touched me? And his disciples are like, you're crazy. There's all these people around you. How, how would you know that someone touched you? And he looked around and he, to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened, she comes in fear and trembling. Now she's afraid even though she's healed, that she's screwed up. That maybe she's going to receive condemnation for seeking to be healed. And she fell down before him like Jairus did. And she told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And while yet he was still speaking, the people came from the leader's house and was like, well, your daughter's dead. There's no reason for this guy to come because, you know, nobody, nobody gets raised from the dead. Why, why trouble him? The pragmatic among us, right? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader, don't, don't fear don't fear, only believe. And so he took with him Peter and James and John, and they came to the house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. It's interesting that in many places in the scripture you hear about this, we know that in Jewish culture it was traditional often to hire people to wail and to weep at the death of someone. Very interesting kind of a thing that would happen. So we don't know if that this is the case or if this is just family members or, or whatever, but that this was part of the ritual. And when he entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion weep? She's just asleep. And they laughed at him. So now he goes in, and just remember now, a dead body is unclean. A dead body is unclean. A young girl isn't worth very much. And Jesus, this rabbi, this holy man, this Jewish man goes in and he touches her. He breaks the boundaries and the rules this time. And he says to her, little girl, get up. 
And she immediately gets up and began to walk about. And everybody, of course, is amazed. But all of this started with fear and desperation. And I know that in our lives, we, and I'm sure in this past year or so, we have been afraid. And I'm sure that that fear has led us to do some things that maybe we're not super proud of. Or maybe it's led us to just sort of freeze, to not know what to do, to not know how to care for others, to not know how to reach out. But I want us to consider another response. What if out of our fear, we might seek to trust that God is in the midst of it? That God, that God's story is walking along with our story. And that as we seek to have faith and trust in God, that God is in the midst of that, that maybe we won't be healed as these two are. Maybe our children won't be raised from the dead. But that we will be given a different kind of life in the midst of that fear and desperation, one that speaks to the life that Christ has given us in his spirit and that our mourning might be turned into dancing. Our fear might be turned into faith. And that we might live more fully even in the midst of things that we don't understand, creating a witness to the world that doesn't just react out of desperation and fear, but seeks to respond out of faith and love and a new life that we find in Christ. May our mourning be turning. Amen.